Scano Sego Ani Bojo Kwekwe Tansi. Good morning and welcome to Moment of Truth and to Element FM. And you are listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa, 106.5 FM in Toronto and 95.7 in Ottawa. And of course, you can also download the Radio Player Canada app and listen anywhere uh, on your devices across Canada uh, by just uh, typing in 95.7 ELMNTFM or 106.5 ELMNTFM, and you can listen on your device anywhere you are. Uh, you can also listen uh, anywhere on the web uh, through our website. Welcome to the show. Thanks for listening. And um, we have some uh, special guests in our studio today. Do you think you know Canada? Really? Do you, do you really think you know Canada? Well, the people I have with me in the studio are going to challenge you and challenge all of us to some degree on what we really know about Canada. And I have Ashley Brook and Adam Bunch in the studio today. And they are people behind the making of the Canadiana Project and the Canadiana documentary series that explore many stories that you may not know about across this nation. So welcome to the show, both of you. Oh, thanks so much for having Thank us. Thank you very much. Yeah, just pull, uh, get in on the microphone there a little bit. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, you'll just have to speak in a little bit. So uh, tell us, uh, Ashley, you started this project. Tell me about it. Tell me why you decided to start something like this. Uh, well, my husband and I, uh, my husband Kyle, who's one of the co-creators, uh, we really wanted to make a Canadian history series. And... We didn't really know how to go about that, but we were huge fans of Adam Bunch's Toronto History blog. Mm. Uh, so we approached Adam, and he very eagerly agreed to be the host of a program. Um, and yeah, we shopped it around for a little while to some Canadian broadcasters, but it was the 150th anniversary at the time, so mm-hmm. they had their lineup set. Mm-hmm. Um, so we brought on another co-creator, Joseph Beebe. And the four of us just went out and started filming. And we put together about seven episodes that would end up being a proof of concept for Bell Fund, who came on later to support us. Great. So, Adam, you were excited to join. I was. I've been writing about the history of Toronto in particular for oh, about a decade now. Uh, and the idea of being able to tell some of those stories visually and to mm. expand beyond Toronto to the rest of the country was uh, something really exciting, because when you start digging, just even in Toronto, there are endless stories of uh, things that people don't know, and it's just so much fun uh, and so fortifying and interesting to be learning more about uh, Toronto. The idea now that we've been able to go across the country, including Ottawa, uh, and west to BC this year, and up to Yukon and Dawson City, uh, Winnipeg, and be learning all about all those places and the stories uh, that they have to offer has been, yeah, it was it was an exciting chance. So while you were working on your own, tell me one of the early stories that, that really intrigued you to launch into this and start your own project when you first started. Uh, I think one of the, the earliest ones that really struck me that the history of this place is not as boring as some people <laughs> uh, assume it is, is <laughs> the story of Robert Baldwin who mm. was sort of the champion of responsible government, along with Louis Hippolyte Lafontaine from Montreal, uh, sort of Protestant, Torontonian, and Catholic uh, Montrealer who joined together to s- sort of give Canada true parliamentary democracy. 
uh, a responsible government as one of those things I remember from high school as feeling incredibly dry and boring. Uh, but when you dig into the story of Robert Baldwin, he's someone who is actually a deeply passionate man who is deeply in love with his wife, who was also his cousin, uh, who uh, sort of stuck with her even though their families or I guess I should say family, uh, didn't want them to get married. She got sent off to New York City for a while, and they were sending each other these passionate love letters. Uh, and she died, sadly, uh, from uh, childbirth. Mm. And Robert Baldwin spent the rest of his life in deep mourning. Mm. Uh, that At the time that he was having these debates in Parliament, he was also uh, sometimes breaking down in tears. Sometimes he couldn't leave his home suffering from deep depression mm. and kept her bedroom as a shrine. And every year on the anniversary of their wedding and of her death, you could find Robert Baldwin wandering the streets of Toronto, visiting all the landmarks of their love. And when he died, not long after uh, that fight over responsible government, which also involved uh, riots and gunfights in the streets and the Tories who were upset about responsible government burned the parliament building down in Montreal. Uh, and Robert Baldwin, when he passed away, just a few days, I believe, after he died, his relatives found a note in one of his jacket pockets that laid out his last wishes uh, that were all very clear. And some of them were sort of normal. He wanted to be buried with her love letters and with a locket she'd given him as a gift. Uh, and some of them were deeply weird. Like uh, he wanted his coffin to be chained together with her coffin so that they would be together for eternity uh, and he even wanted to be given the same cesarean section wound uh, that had killed her. And he was very clear in the letter that he wanted this to be done even if he had already been buried. So after they had laid him to rest, his family had to go back into the family tomb with a doctor to crack open his coffin and split open his stomach uh, to to give him what he had always wanted uh, since she had died, which is a story you don't hear often. <laughs> there in St. James Cemetery <laughs> overlooking the Don Valley, one of the founders of Canadian democracy mm. is chained still to this day to the mm. bones of the woman he loved. Right. Uh, so stories like that early on made me realize there were stories that are really interesting and tell stories about how Canada came to be that uh, aren't being told very often. Great. Well, thanks for sharing that, and, and thanks for the brief introduction. Now, what I want to know about is, how did you guys get into this line of work? There could be people out there listening, going, this sounds pretty cool. I wouldn't mind doing this kind of stuff. When, you know. So how did you get started, Ashley? Um, well, I've been working in the documentary industry for almost 10 years now, mm -hmm. and uh, Kyle and Joseph have as well, um, mostly freelance work, and Adam um, has been writing about Canadian history for many years and has just authored a book, um, the Toronto Book of the Dead. Um, so we have, all of us, an interest in history, but that's not our background. We're not experts in history. Mm -hmm. uh, we just want to tell it. And yeah. I, do you have okay. to add? Yeah, I think one thing I've learned from history and from Canadiana, uh, and previously in my life too, is that... Uh, you can just start doing things. <laughs> you don't need permission. No mm. one has to come and tell you. So right. for writing about history, for me, uh, I had gone to film school and didn't really use that until Canadiana, mm. uh, but came out of film school wanting to write fiction. 
So I started writing little fictional stories mm -hmm. about the history of Toronto, about historical figures, uh, just myself, and creating little cards for them with little collages that I taught myself how to do on Photoshop, uh, and started leaving them in public places for people to find uh, as hopefully a way to get them hooked into being interested about the history that maybe they don't know, uh, called the Toronto Dreams Project. Mm. So if everything that's happened since is just from taking that step of wanting to put something out into the world and leaving these cards around that became uh, somewhat popular and led to more opportunities and writing more and now writing the book and Ashley and Kyle uh, approaching me about Canadiana was because I was writing some of the true stories behind those cards mm. on my Toronto Dreams Project blog. So... <laughs> Once you guys get this started, you're going, all right, everybody's on board. We're going, we're going to do this. Yeah. So you, you have some history. You've been writing about this stuff already. So you, you're already sort of in, into this to some degree. So you've already got a history of doing this. Now you've got a team you're working with of people. You're going to bring this to life on camera. Where do you start? What do you, like, how do you first, what, what's the first story you look for? How did you decide on that first story? Well, part of it was, um, we want this to be a, a Canadian history series. So we want it to be across the country. And mm. our problem is we're located in Toronto. So without a budget to travel in the mm. beginning, we thought we don't want to make a bunch of episodes all in Toronto mm. and call it Canadiana. <laughs> <laughs> so part of that was like looking at where we could go that was a little bit further, but still something that we could drive to. And so we started looking for stories in Ottawa, Montreal and Quebec City. And we just did it all in one weekend. Um, wow. Yeah. Wow. It, yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is a very long days yes. <laughs> uh, in the Ottawa drizzle and mm. scorching heat in Quebec City, uh, just trying to get as many stories told as we possibly could in just the couple of days we had in each place uh, because we didn't have the money. Uh, and now to this day, we're really just Patreon backed and it's patrons who are mm. able to give us donations that let us do this. Uh, so we try to make our budgets go very, very long way. Uh, so it was just running around those three cities, grabbing all the most interesting stories we could find. Uh, so one about the assassination of Darcy McGee in mm. Ottawa that's just coming out now, two years after we shot it, mm. uh, to uh, the siege of Quebec City before the Battle of the Plains of Abraham and a love triangle that helped bring the city down from within through their uh, runaway corruption to uh, the statue of Champlain in Ottawa uh, and the story of the indigenous, anonymous indigenous scout who used to be kneeling at his feet uh, and has since been moved after outcry in the 90s to uh, a good Montreal one. Oh, there's also we told the story of O Canada and mm. how uh, O Canada's ridden by a veteran of the American Civil War to celebrate uh, a nationalist Quebecois holiday in the 1800s and sort of how it went from that to becoming our national anthem, which united all three of those cities in one big story. Mm. Fascinating. It's all very interesting. And, and I have to say for, for our listening audience, what you can't see is, uh, is Adam sitting here and he's looking very, uh, almo almost like a, a sleuth kind of uh, look to him. <laughs> <laughs> very much like he is on camera, but it was a surprise to see him come in, you know, looking ready to go. He's ready to go. Always looking for a story. Um, so, so, guys, that, that's really fascinating. You were just starting to tell us about the story, that the, the uh, Darcy McGee story that's dropping today. Do you want to uh, elaborate on that a little bit? 
Sure. So uh, Darcy McGee was from Ireland, and he was an Irish revolutionary fighting for Irish independence who came over to to Canada and became uh, a very loyal British subject who became Sir John A. Macdonald's right-hand man and one of the fathers of Confederation, uh, who was shot dead in the streets of Ottawa uh, a few years after Confederation. Uh, And his... The crime has never really satisfactorily been solved. Everyone assumed it was an Irish revolutionary, one of the Fenians, uh, who felt that he was a traitor to the Irish people. Uh, And MacDonald, who was friends with him and very interested in getting the case solved as soon as possible, uh, did pretty much everything in his power to ensure that they found someone, uh, Patrick Whalen, uh, who was an Irish immigrant who uh, there wasn't a ton of evidence uh, of his guilt, but got hanged for it anyway, uh, with a lot of sort of uh, unusual twists and turns in his trial, including McDonald sitting beside the judge while the trial was going on, sort of encouraging the guilty verdict. So in a new episode that's uh, just being released uh, pretty much as we speak, Uh, We sort of dive into the story of McGee's assassination, another one of those stories that uh, plenty of Canadians know about the assassination of Lincoln or Kennedy, and not so many know about the assassination of our own founding father uh, story. Uh, So we sort of dive into that story and reopen that cold case and examine some of the evidence and whether Whalen uh, was hanged because he actually did it or just because he was an Irish immigrant at a time when they needed one to be hanged. Interesting. Okay. Now, uh, I noticed on the website that you had uh, the story of um, the Canadian slave story and uh, about Angelique. And interestingly enough, we just had uh, uh, one of the actors that are portraying a role in that uh, production that is that, that launched yesterday, uh, here <laughs> yesterday. So uh, an Indigenous actress. Um, so uh, it was interesting that ties in with this whole story. And that is a very interesting story that I don't think many people know about. Yes, it's it's a very dark story, and I think a lot of people associate Canada with uh, the Underground Railroad and not mm. necessarily with slavery. Right. Um, they think of like the U.S. and the Southern plantations, but there were enslaved people here. Um, and so a Canadian slavery story is the story of Marie-Joseph Angelique, who was an enslaved woman brought over from Portugal uh, to Montreal. And she was accused of burning down a street in Montreal. No one was killed, fortunately, but um, she apparently threatened her master many times with burning and roasting um, Mm. because she was so unfairly treated. Mm. Uh, So, yeah, we went to... That was one of the first stories we told on our trip to Montreal. And, um, yeah, I can't say much about it other than it's a dark tale, but it's something that I think more Canadians should know about. Mm-hmm. It is one of the most popular episodes we've released in terms of views. And I think part of that is because Canadians aren't used to telling that half of the story. We like to tell ourselves the story of the Underground Railroad, uh, mm-hmm. but that was a brief period within hundreds of years before that of Canadian slavery uh, that didn't end until the 1830s, just 30 years before the United States uh, ended it. Uh, so I think that is part of that telling stories about Canada that don't always get told 
is definitely part of what we think is an important part of what we do, and that's definitely one of them. Um, now, the story we were discussing a little bit earlier uh, before we went on the air was the, uh, the story of the lions uh, west in Vancouver. That's an interesting story because it takes you almost right across the country, back and forth uh, to many provinces. Yeah, so the lions are probably two of the most famous mountain peaks in Canada, so towering over North Vancouver. Uh, and pretty much everybody in Canada has heard of them, whether they realize it or not, because they gave the BC Lions football team their name. Uh, the Lionsgate Bridge in Vancouver is named after them. And then Lionsgate Entertainment that's produced uh, shows like Mad Men and Orange is the New Black and The Hunger Games is named after uh, them as well. Uh, so in our episode, we dive into the history from before they were named the Lions, which they were named by another father of Confederation who thought they looked like the British Lions, uh, like the ones in Trafalgar Square. But they have a much older name than that that comes from uh, the local Squamish people who called them the Sisters and have a legend about two daughters of a chief uh, that's all tied to the history of those two mountain peaks. Uh, so we tell that story and of the Capilano family who uh, Joe Capilano was the chief of the Squamish who was fighting for indigenous rights in the late 1800s and early 1900s, going to the provincial capital in Victoria and Ottawa and all the way to London to try to petition the king uh, and who met while he was in London, Pauline Johnson, the Mohawk poet from the Six Nations uh, who are here in southern Ontario. Uh, so we traveled to Chiefswood, her house where she grew up as a child, uh, to tell her part of the story and how she became one of the most popular poets in Canada, telling stories. Uh, sort of, she'd do half of her performances. She'd be dressed in the finery of a typical English Victorian gentlewoman, and the other half in a costume she had sort of created of her own, uh, using the stereotype of, uh, of a First Nations princess to tell stories from an indigenous perspective uh, and who ended up retiring in Vancouver and uh, spending a lot of time with the Capilanos at the end of their lives, hearing the legends of the Squamish people from the Capilanos and then sharing them with the people of Vancouver through columns and the newspaper that eventually got turned into a book called The Legends of Vancouver that became her first bestseller and sold out in less than a week. So it brought a lot of those Squamish stories to the settlers of Vancouver who had uh, sort of forgotten them in their rush to build their new city. Uh, and, yeah, sort of how this poet from the place we now call Ontario uh, met and teamed up with uh, this West Coast chief and his wife to tell some of the stories uh, of Vancouver before it was Vancouver. So when you go out to do a story such as this, how much of it do you know ahead of time? Do you have it completely planned or, or do you find uh, surprising uh, bits of information while you're out there uh, doing these things? We do uh, generally have it all scripted before we go, mm -hmm. but find that we're always learning tiny little details while we're there mm -hmm. and entirely new stories. Mm. Uh, so we might insert a new line or adjust something or learn something new or different than we had in the original script. And at the same time, we're learning whole new stories that we then rush to try to shoot if we can before we have to leave. Uh, I think the example we like to tell the most is uh, uh, while we were in Dawson City, 
which was one of the places we dreamed of going when we first launched the series, somewhere we thought we might never be able to get to go, mm. uh, but we did last summer. We got to tell stories about the gold rush and uh, some of the history there. And on our very last night, and somewhere we're likely maybe never to go again since it is so hard to get to. Uh, so this was our last chance, our last night. We had one more scene, I think, to shoot. And Kyle went to the washroom and came back with a whole new episode <laughs> that we needed to do because uh, he had seen a poster while he was in the washroom uh, talking about a recreation of an old hockey game that in 1905, the Dawson City Nuggets hockey team had traveled across the country by dog sled and steamship and train to get to Ottawa to face off against the Ottawa hockey team for the Stanley Cup. Uh, so that a team from Dawson in 1905 had competed for the Stanley Cup, lost just terribly. They gave up, I think, 18 goals in the first game and more than that in the second, uh, which also had a tie-in to the McGee assassination story that his that brother, nephew, do you remember? Nephew, I think. Yeah. His nephew had been the star of the Ottawa hockey team. Uh, and then we went on with our day and went up to shoot – uh, we knew we were going to try to grab some new scenes uh, before we went to bed and then early in the morning before we caught our plane. Uh, so we headed up to an over a nice lookout across the river, across the Yukon River from Dawson City uh, to shoot some stuff at sunset. Uh, and so a f- local f- family stopped to enjoy the lookout with us for a while and we were chatting a bit uh, and it was uh, – a local First Nations man who had grown up there who sort of told us his story of growing up in the land and how much it had changed since he was a kid uh, and his experiences there uh, and told us his name, Roy Johnson, as he was leaving, uh, which we then Googled to find out more about him and learned immediately that he was on the team in 1995 (laughs) that went to Ottawa to recreate the game play the Ottawa Senators and lose less badly than the Nuggets had 100 years earlier. (laughs) Interesting. Very interesting. That is a great spot for us to take a pause and take a break. We do have to take this moment, uh, and we will be right back on Moment of Truth and Element FM right after this. Welcome back to Element FM and Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. On the show today, we have uh, two of the four people that make up the team of the Canadiana Project. Now, Canadiana Project is a web-based series in virtual hub for all things Canadian history. Their mandate is to encourage greater knowledge and appreciation of Canadian history through the creation and distribution of Canadian history edutainment that is free and accessible to all Canadians. Tell me more, guys. Tell me more. What does that mean? Free and accessible to all Canadians. I yeah. So our our goal for this website and channel is to be a place that Canadians go to to, to learn about Canadian history, um, and it's all free. And we have a blog on our website, and then we have a documentary series, which you can see also on our website and on our Canadiana YouTube channel. And the the uh, website is this is Canadiana dot com, or you can mm-hmm. go to YouTube dot com slash Canadiana. Okay. And we're on all the social media channels, too, at This Is Canadiana, where we share some of the stories uh, we're doing in the episodes and the blog posts and more stories beyond that. 
So what I have here is that it says Canadiana is a documentary series on the hunt for the most incredible stories in Canadian history, featuring playful animations and scenic footage. The scene series follows Adam Bunch, who you just heard, uh, across the country exploring the tales uh, that have made Canada the unique place it is today. And this it says this isn't the history you learned in school. It isn't the history you learned in school. It is something we've heard over and over again that people assume Canadian history is boring uh, because they were taught dry history in school. That what they learned when they were in high school and in, uh, and younger was essentially just lists of dates and events and facts without really the stories that bring history to life uh, and make it something interesting and engaging and hopefully uh, something that will stick with you and teach you more about this place and uh, this country and how it came to be and uh, the good and the bad. Uh, So that's very much at the core of what we're trying to do is bring those stories to life and – Uh, We, I think, we're all very fortunate that we had history teachers who were good at telling stories and at getting their students interested, Uh, but that that sadly seems to be too rare an experience. So we're determined to to bring the stories to life in hopefully an innovative and engaging way, uh, doing these sort of short and easily digestible YouTube videos uh, that uh, should hopefully be able to engage people more successfully than a lot of them seem to have been engaged when they were younger. Mm. Well, you know, when I, when I see the line, this is the history you didn't, you didn't learn in school. Of course, the one thing we think about here uh, at the radio station at Element FM is the, the history of Indigenous people that was basically uh, not told uh, in history books as well as about residential schools and the history that unfortunately uh, followed that, that history. And uh, um, I'm just wondering, is that something you guys intend to look at or, or try to pull out uh, some of those stories? You know, I, I have to tell you that one thing that comes to mind when I say that is that I, I was uh, a part of a group a, a number of years ago that went uh, for a weekend, a retreat to, to, uh, to look at some things in, from a journalistic perspective. And they brought out some information about about residential schools and some of the things that happened to the students in there that I was not aware of about the experiments that went on with them in, in, in terms of health, in terms of uh, specific diets they put some of these kids on to see what would happen, uh, to see how it would affect their teeth. And, you know, it, it was it's monstrous to think about the stuff that was done uh, uh, to, to these kids um, in, in residential school. That certainly is a part of the history of, of this country that uh, more people need to hear about, and hopefully they will hear more about. Um, any comment on that in terms of what you guys might be looking at or, or perhaps pursuing in that regard? Yeah, it's. Uh, I think I would say it's impossible to tell the story of Canada without telling uh, stories about Indigenous history, mm. except that. Uh, it seems that so many people have been doing that for so long, mm. uh, telling the story of the founding of Canada as this empty land uh, or maybe even at best. Well, when you talk about the founding of Toronto for very, very long, it was a story of loyalist refugees pouring into this 
uh, wild place mm. uh, and giving European culture to grateful indigenous people. Uh, and that's been the story for so long, uh, at least the one settlers have been telling themselves. Uh, and hopefully that is beginning to shift and hopefully we can play a role in that, that uh, we are always looking for the most interesting and untold stories. Frequently, those are stories deeply related to indigenous people, whether it's the story of the lions of the sisters in Vancouver or the story about that statue in Ottawa uh, and some upcoming stories we have our eye on as potential new episodes, including that founding of Toronto and uh, Chief Wabakinine from the Mississaugas who helped sign the Toronto Purchase and mm. then was murdered by a soldier from Fort York. Mm. And making sure that it's a part of uh, the stories we're telling that might be more settler-focused, but uh, you know, there's always some indigenous context to wherever that story is happening and frequently uh, to uh, the story itself. So in telling, for instance, the story of the gold rush in Dawson City, frequently uh, the story of the Toronto Quichin who were there for uh, eons before the first gold miners showed up uh, gets left out. Uh, so we were really interested and it was a very educational experience and an interesting one uh, to meet with uh, and one woman in particular who was nice enough to share the story of uh, Chief Isaac, who is the Trondek Wichin chief who saw the gold rush coming and did everything he could to preserve the culture uh, that was about to become very seriously threatened when 40,000 miners showed up essentially over the course of a few months or one summer. Uh, and the story, uh, too, of how the gold got found in the first place. It's frequently been told as the story of a miner named Robert Henderson uh, tipping off uh, a small group and uh, that group were almost entirely uh, from the Tahitian First Nation. Uh, but the one who got credit for making the find was, of course, the settler who got, who was, I believe, the only one legally allowed to get a double claim, which is what the discoverer of a new claim usually gets. Mm. Uh, but that the person who almost certainly is the first one to have actually seen the gold is uh, was a Tahitian First Nations man named Skookum Jim, uh, who uh, was sort of erased in the official accounts for uh, more than a hundred years, and is, whose story is finally being told now. Uh, and even just the story of that is something we're hoping to cover in more depth mm. uh, in the future. The, we included him as part of the whole story of the gold rush, but even just the story of that, of how it was found and then who got credit for it, uh, is one that's deeply fascinating uh, and something that a lot of people don't usually hear. Yes. Well, thanks for showing that. If you just joined our program and you're wondering who's talking, well, that's Adam Bunch talking to you. He's the host uh, narrator of the uh, Canadiana documentary series that uh, you can see online. And also we have with us Ashley Brook, and she is the, uh, she's the, the owner of uh, uh, and producer of um, An Unlikely Pair. <laughs> Unlikely player. Is that referring to you and your husband? Is it? Or... <laughs> <laughs> it could be. <laughs> um, that that's actually just a random inside joke. <laughs> really, it was. It came from our uh, O Canada episode. Mm. Uh, 
the the unlikely pair of the composer of the music and yeah, so the the music of O Canada was composed mm. by an American Civil War veteran who was right. a Quebecois fellow who had headed south to fight uh, Calixa La Vallée, uh, but the lyrics were all written. Uh, by a very homebody conservative judge named uh, Routier. Uh, so it was one, this adventurous liberal and this stay-at-home conservative. Uh, so we refer to them, I think, in the script as unlikely pair, and somehow that became an inside joke that what if it were pair the fruit mm. instead of a pair of people? Mm. Uh, and that became the name for the production company. I guess we weren't really thinking ahead. <laughs> we were just like, we need a company name. No and, uh, <laughs> Makes for a good story. <laughs> and that story, by the way, almost sounds very Canadian when you describe that <laughs> liberal conservative. And, you know, this, this sort of, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so right from the start there. Now, listen, what about is all this, uh, all the stories that you're looking at, are they all... Uh, uh, serious stories, uh, any of them more on the humorous side. Uh, I, I'm thinking about the, the one that, that I saw from Quebec City about the, the werewolves or something. And Yeah, that's one uh, we haven't done a full episode about yet, but I hope to. But we've done as a blog post is that uh, in the 1700s, according to Quebec newspapers at the time, a werewolf was stalking was stalking through the province uh, and killing people. Uh, and it's a story you can follow through these newspaper reports of uh, local people rising up and organizing mobs to go hunt the werewolf. And at one point they thought they had defeated the beast, uh, but people kept dying. So the newspaper uh, made it clear that the beast was back and stronger than ever uh, and then sort of just fades from history, mm. uh, which is yeah, a very entertaining and engaging story, uh, which is also the kind of story we try to tell uh, and also at the same time sort of tricks you into learning more about New France at the time uh, and the fact that the settlers of the province were almost certainly had brought werewolf stories with them from France, which had been suffering, uh, according to official accounts, a horrible werewolf epidemic for the last few centuries. And we're having werewolf trials and hanging people uh, for being werewolves. Uh, and that there was a big flare-up sort of right around the same time that Quebec City was so worried about their werewolf. There was probably what was a pack of wolves uh, terrorizing people in the mountains of France. Uh, so sort of it is a, an entertaining story about werewolves, but also a way to sort of learn about the connections between New France and uh, France itself and sort of how culture was being brought over here uh, at the same time. Are there other stories of that nature that you guys are finding that maybe have been turned into to musical numbers or that have a musical bent to it? Uh, there is uh, sort of one song in particular we've been thinking of doing uh, as part of an episode, I think. During that first weekend we ever went out filming, uh, we went to a church uh, just outside Montreal that in 1837, when there were big rebellions both in Toronto and in Montreal, uh, attempting to overthrow uh, British rule and replace it sort of with a democratic republic, sort of along the American lines, uh, that uh, ended 
the Toronto rebellion did not go particularly well and ended sort of mm. in a in a weak defeat uh, of this army, sort of makeshift army marching down Young Street led by the city's first mayor, William Lloyd Mackenzie. In Quebec, uh, in Lower Canada, the rebellion was much more successful and they won a couple of battles against the British colonial troops. Uh, but ended up in the end being cornered in this church outside Montreal, uh, which the British boarded up, locked everyone inside and set it on fire, uh, burning many of them alive and shooting them as they were jumping out the windows uh, to safety. And the the rebels from both of those rebellions, uh, many were hanged, uh, some escaped to the United States and lived in exile, uh, and many of them were sent off into exile in Australia, to Tasmania, to Van Diemen's Land, to work in penal colonies, many of whom died there. Uh, And there was a song written at that time uh, that told about that experience of those exiled uh, rebels, which is one that we're hoping to work into that episode about that church in Mm. Quebec. We're hoping to sort of do a companion episode about the rebellion in Toronto and then a third one all about those exiles and their experiences. Hmm. Interesting. Now, let's talk about Canadiana itself a little bit. Um, You guys, you take donations. And and I, I think I heard you say early on that you exist by donation. Is that correct? We will. We have, um, we're just using up the last of a uh, bit of grant money we received from the Bell Fund, mm-hmm. uh, which funded our travel in the past year. Mm-hmm. Um, and after that, we are going to have to start to look for more funding. But we do rely on donations from viewers. Uh, it's totally volunteer. But uh, if you'd like to help out, it's patreon.com um, slash Canadiana. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, you can, it's as little as a dollar. Mm-hmm. A month, mm-hmm. uh, and it can go a long way. Mm-hmm. And um, and and have you? How has that been going for you? How long have you been looking for donations? Oh, it's been a year and a bit, probably now, since we launched it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's one of those things that's sort of slow to grow at first, but sure. uh, more and more people uh, joining, and we do hear a lot that people are just uh, grateful and happy to support something that is telling stories in a way and about topics uh, that they're not used to hearing. Mm. Uh, and it is it's amazing to us that there are people out there who are willing to support what we're doing and uh, uh, happy to share just a tiny little bit of money uh, with us, which helps us uh, to tell those stories. Uh, and it's been neat seeing the other ways it's been successful too. Uh, we just learned we're going to be up for Best Documentary Series at the Yorkton Film Festival. Mm. Uh, and we've been really amazed by how much interest there is in Canadian stories in other parts of the world. So we've been to film festivals in New York City and L.A. and Miami and uh, just got accepted to one in Sicily uh, later this summer. Uh, and a decent number of our views uh, consistently are from people in other countries who I think are interested to learn more about a country that hasn't told its own history uh, to other parts of the world very often. Hmm. That's that's very interesting to know. And congratulations on all of that, by the way. With well, the, thank uh, you. Yeah. And, um, and, and certainly the uh, the product is is certainly uh, well put together and uh, and very interesting. So congratulations to your whole team on that. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure it is not easy to pull together this this stuff, as you were saying. Uh, some of these things take a long time to put together. Many man hours and women hours uh, need to be put in to bring these proje- uh, projects to fruition for people's enjoyment. You know, it's interesting. Uh, I always 
sort of bring this up. It always comes to mind when I'm talking to people on any kind of project that is, that is driven like this. Uh, and, and it could be anything, actually. Anything that we see that is presented, or uh, if it's a book, if it's a, a video, if it's a film, whatever, we only get to see you know, the final product, 10% probably of what went into that, 90% of the work we never get to see in terms of what people really had to do to get that to where it is at the finished product. And I think we tend to forget about that. Yeah, it's definitely true of us. Uh, yeah, uh, from the research uh, to begin it through to, yeah, having to take flights across the country, uh, three flights to get from Toronto to Dawson City, and then the time in post-production is uh, working on the animations, which we take mm. a lot of pride in, uh, and that the other three uh, – are extremely good at while I sort of sit back and take credit uh, are incredibly intensive uh, workload. Uh, It's a passion project that we're very, uh, very glad to be spending the time doing. We just hope we get to keep doing it. And it's true too on the story side that every time we're learning about a new story, maybe 10% of what we learn is what's in the episode. And we learn so much more and we try to share as much as possible in the descriptions below the videos on YouTube and by doing blog posts and uh, sharing them on social media, bits we can't use elsewhere, and just sharing what's coming up, uh, new things that happen in Canadian history, new discoveries, new uh, archival research, new news items uh, as we go. What about, um, what about if people have ideas they want to submit? Do you, do you get uh, ideas from people? We do, and it's uh, been wonderful. <laughs> Actually, we we often get messages on Instagram or Facebook from people who mm. suggest stories to us, and usually our response is that we will put that on our list, and if we get more funding, <laughs> we will definitely <laughs> look into that. But do you get some some things that are that are of uh, potential interest, like you, you? Oh, definitely. Yeah, there are so many stories on our on mm. our to do list, and mm. we're really just waiting for for funding to be able to travel to those places. Something, too, that happens while we're out filming constantly. Oh. People are coming up to us <laughs> oh, yeah. intrigued because we have a camera and sure. are filming something. And usually we're at an interesting historic site that they've come to because they're interested in history, too. And the number of stories that we get just of people walking right up to us and saying, oh, what are you doing? And, oh, that's so interesting. And you need to tell the story of my community. Mm. Uh, this is what happened where I live and where I'm from and mm. to the people I know, uh, which is again, I think shows that there's a lot out there that needs to be told and hasn't been told. And people have these stories uh, from all across the country that hopefully we'll get to tell a lot more of. Well, I guess that's just it, isn't it? Um, everybody has a story. And there are so many stories to tell when you start to, uh, just talking to people and you hear all these things that are fascinating. So your line of work, I envy you in many ways because of uh, the fact that you get to travel around and see these places and get to see and experience these things and hear all these stories and share uh, with many people. But um, we do the same thing here, and we're happy to do it, and uh, and I'm happy to be a part of being able to bring what you do to life. And uh, we here at Element FM are very happy to be able to share this with you and, and, and with the people that listen to our program. And uh, what you are listening to today is uh, we, a couple of people from uh, Canadiana, Ashley Brook and uh, Adam bunch and uh, adam is the the host and uh ashley is behind the scenes she's the she's the boss she's the boss (laughs) 
So uh, actually, uh, it's great they're both here. And I just wanted to share some sites with you that you can go to if you're interested in donating. They are interested in, in receiving donations kindly and, and graciously accepted. Uh, as uh, point pointed out by Ashley, as, as little as a dollar, a dollar a month. If you can if you can spare that. So the website is thisiscanadiana.com. Thisiscanadiana.com. Uh, the Twitter Twitter handle is uh, this is Canadiana, and uh, Facebook is uh, facebooks.com slash this is Canadian, and that's the same with Twitter twitter.com slash, and uh, Instagram uh, this is Canadian as well. And um, you mentioned one more about about donations. What was that one you said? Uh, Patreon, Patreon, or okay. PayPal if okay. you just want to do a one time donation. Right. Yeah. Um, so listen, guys, our time is running out. We have a little, well, we are getting very close to our time. Uh, what else would you like to mention or talk about in our remaining time with us today? I guess just, uh, you can also head to youtube.com slash Canadiana, which is where the episodes go up. Mm. If you just want to go straight to them. Uh, so yeah, last week, the episode about the sisters in Vancouver came out. Uh, today it's the one about Darcy McGee and the assassination. So if you're interested uh, in a political assassination and some true crimey stuff, you can check that out. Uh, and in just a couple of weeks or so, we're going to have an episode about the legislative building in Winnipeg, where we spent a weekend sort of exploring uh, what are rumored to be sort of occult symbolism related to the Masons, the Freemasonry from uh, the early 1900s in Winnipeg, uh, which are all, yeah, stories we're proud of and happy to have told and you can go check out for free on YouTube. And and roughly, if somebody's going to sit down and watch something, how much time do they need to watch an episode, roughly? Our episodes are all between 5 and 15 minutes. Okay. Um, so, yeah, they're not they're not comprehensive, but they, we hope that they'll excite viewers and they'll be interested in looking into them further after that. Mm. Uh, I'm just I'm just curious, as I was hearing you say that, have you had comments from people after watching uh, an episode to add something to that story. Yes, we do get that all the time. And sometimes people will comment with something that we missed and we'll try to include that in our description or we'll link to more information mm. elsewhere. Yeah, yeah. It's very much the whole thing's very much a learning experience for us, uh, which is part of the joy of it mm. is uh, that we're constantly learning uh, and it is a learning process. So people are constantly telling us things, even about the stories we've already told uh, that we didn't realize. So uh, in that vein uh, of thought, uh, in terms of uh, connecting to links or those kind of things, do you, do you show people the sources or do you, do you have links for the sources of, of where you get the, the stories you're, you're uh, gathering so that people, can, if they want to delve into it further, they can go there themselves? We, we do include those when we can in the descriptions. And that's part of the good thing about being a digital series is that mm. it's interactive in that way. And we can share those things and interact with people who are commenting. Mm. Um, we welcome comments on all of our videos and we will respond to you. Yeah. So we try to, as much as possible, make our episodes sort of a starting point mm -hmm. uh, that some of them you will just enjoy for themselves. And some of them hopefully are uh, the beginning of learning even more about that story and things related to that story. So we're constantly trying to share as many links and stuff as we max out the character limit on the description yeah. every episode because mm -hmm. we want to share as much of that kind of supporting material as we possibly can. Okay. Um, Adam, are you married? I am not. Okay. I was going to say, we have about a minute left, and if you were going to tell your child a bedtime story, what what quick story could you relate to our audience at this time? Oh, wow. For just a minute, one of the episodes, maybe, 
Oh, shoot. What do we have? Uh, I was just learning. Oh, it's not a great bedtime story. Depends on what the child was interested in and how old they were. Okay. Uh, but I was very interested just uh, a couple of weeks ago to learn about all the Canadians who were on the Titanic, uh, which I found absolutely fascinating that there were 38 of them, most of whom died, including the man who owned the Chateau Laurier, mm. and that the opening of the Chateau Laurier in Ottawa was delayed by two months because he was on his way there for the opening when the Titanic went down with him aboard, uh, and that uh, there were survivors sort of living through Canada for uh, the next few decades, all of which have fascinating stories to tell uh, about their time on the ship. That is fascinating. Thanks for sharing that with us. And that wraps up our time here on Moment of Truth today. Thanks for listening. And also thanks to our guests who came in today. I want to thank Ashley Brooke and Adam Bunch for coming in and sharing uh, their their stories with us. Don't forget to check out Canadiana online. You can do that. And they're looking for donations. Don't forget that as well. Thank you so much for coming in today. It, it was great to have you here. Thanks so much Thank for having us. Thank you very much for having us.